Good evening and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this weekly program. I want to thank you for joining us on EWTN. Deep in Scripture program has focused for the last couple years on inviting guests to join me to talk about their favorite verses from Scripture, Scripture that has inspired their life. In the last year, we've looked at verses that uh, the guests particularly liked from uh, St. Paul. And uh, we, we changed a bit in September. But one of the changes for the, tonight's program is normally where I have a guest, I'm here by myself tonight. It's summer and sometimes a little more difficult to uh, work around people's schedules. And so this happened to be an open week. And, and in the process, we decided this might be a good week for me to take tonight's program to focus more specifically on this new theme that we're setting for the next year of the Deep in Scripture programs. We mentioned it the last couple of weeks, but I thought maybe tonight we could uh, look more closely at that. Before I jump into the program, let me remind you that this program is associated with a website, deepinscripture.com, sponsored by the Coming Home Network International. If you go to deepinscripture.com, you'll see a listing of our programs. You'll see um, uh, tonight's scriptures that I plan to uh, focus on in a moment, uh, as well as contact numbers for us. If you'd like to give us a call, you can do that, 800-664-5110 off the air anytime. You can call us at the Coming Home Network International phone number, 740-450-1175, or you can send me an email. It's often the easiest way at marcus at deepinscripture.com. And as we've been uh, mentioning over the last couple of months, we're now broadcasting this program live on the internet. So if you'd like to check us out, go to deepinscripture.com. There's a direct link to the to the website where you can watch the program. And we'd love to hear from you, especially. What's important to us in this program is, is our study together in Scripture drawing you closer to Jesus Christ? Is it helping you appreciate the church that he's given to us, the way that he's called us to listen to his word and respond by grace? And uh, are there aspects of the, the Christian walk that you would like us to focus on? Uh, and that's... Uh, something we would love to hear. So again, please let us know, particularly send me an email, marcus at deepinscripture.com. Or actually, if you go to the, the website where the program is being broadcast, you can be involved in the chat about the topic that we're looking at. Now, during this coming year, the Holy Father has designated that now that the year of St. Paul is over, we'd like to focus this year on the priesthood. And so we can anticipate, starting now in June for this next year, that there'll be uh, many publications and conferences and discussions, television, radio, internet, about the priesthood, what it means, about ordination, uh, a discernment of all aspects of the priesthood. We wanted to use that as a background theme for this program, but recognizing that uh, not everyone that's listening to this program is going to be as interested in the, in the specific focus of priesthood, I wanted to widen that focus to to take an issue which um, really is behind a, a, a man's discernment to become a priest, and that is that uh, the theme of verses that have inspired people to follow Jesus in a deeper way. And I'm going to be asking my guests over this next year to choose verses that particularly help them inspired them, challenged them, awakened them to this need for their life to be more directed in following Jesus Christ. And 
for today, I'd like to look at a, a, another, that same question maybe uh, expressed in a different way. What does God want me to do with the one life that he's given me? As I think about the verses that have inspired me, which is what I'm going to look at in tonight's program, they've inspired me to follow Jesus in a, in a more intimate way, uh, a more sacrificial way. This was the question that arose in my mind, going back 35 years or so, 40 years. Uh, my young adulthood, when it, it was a time that I had an adult awakening to Christ, and it was this thought, all right, I have this one life. Each of us has one life that we've been given. And that one life is a gift of God. It's not ours to strangle, in other words, to clutch on to so tightly that it's my life, I'll do it what I want. Uh, I'm reminded of a commercial on TV. We've all heard those. After a while, it gets uh, very uh, irritating. You know, those guys screaming, it's my money, I want it now. You've heard that commercial. Well, apply that same statement differently. It's my life, and, and I'll do it what I want. Well, if a person has that attitude, then they really have not experienced the spiritual awakening to recognize that, no, this life that each of us has is a gift. It's been given to us. And in many ways, our entire journey in this life is a growing appreciation of what that means. It may begin with us in our early days as a teenager, let's say, when we're we're at least awakening to the fact that God is our creator. And so everything we have is from him. But it may not then affect us as much as it may later as we grow to realize, whoa, you know, that, that the choices I make make a big difference in what I do with this life. And sometimes I've made decisions that have taken me way off base than what is probably the direction God intended for me, so how do I get back in line? Now, these are the questions that I'd like to look at a little bit on t tonight's program. The question, what does God want me to do with this one life he's given me? Well, if we look at this larger theme, the call, uh, the unique calling that each of us has, uh, this is a much bigger topic than I could cover in any one program, of course. And in a way, this is what we'll be dealing with off and on in the coming years. Some of our guests will talk about the call to priesthood or to religious life or to uh, the diaconate or maybe those that are called to the life of the laity, uh, how they discern specifically how they were to serve the Lord in that life that they were given. There's a wide breadth of interpretations on this issue. The full gambit from on the one extreme are those that believe that though God created us, he does not have a specific plan for our lives. We were given the freedom to do whatever we want with it. And there's that one extreme to the other extreme, which is more what I shared often when I was a Calvinist, in that not only does God have a specific plan for each life, but part of our goal in life is to discover that unique, perfect will of God and Unless we discover it, we're not ever in line with God, a very narrow legalistic way that often leaves 
people spending their entire life bemoaning and frustrated and worried and concerned about whether they in fact have discovered God's will for their life. I know that when I was a Presbyterian pastor, I will say that that was one of the most common questions I received from young adults who had awakened to Jesus Christ, were on fire for him. Now they want to discover God's will for their life, and it seemed like they were always in a panic. Had I found it? Can anyone help me? And uh, and it, there was this feeling like they would spend the rest of their life spinning their wheels until they knew exactly from God and got zapped with the clear understanding of that one will for their lives. Well, somewhere in between those extremes is, in fact, where the church has helped us see that there's a wide breadth in understanding his call for us, yet within that wide breadth of God's mercy and his grace, yet he has indeed called us each to a specific way that we are to use the gifts he's given us. One way to understand this is to see that the church basically teaches that there are, um, for each of us, layers of our calling. And the first is true of all baptized Christians, which we share with every Christian brother and sister because of this baptism. And basically, the graces we've been given in that first baptism that wiped away original sin and then enabled us as a new creation to live a different life, every single one of us is called to live as a child of God. Every single one of us is called to witness. Our life is to be a visual and audible representation of our faith. Every single one of us is called to live in holiness. Every single one of us, because of our baptism, have received gifts and uh, special opportunities to serve God, and we are all called to do that. But then at another level, we each of us have a personal calling, and there are two aspects of this. The first is that uh, our state of life, is a part of God's uh, call for our life, whether we're to be celibate or married, whether we're to live a life as a priest or religious or deacon or a layperson. That's a part of God's calling. And so we discern that in our process of following Jesus. But then even more uniquely specific for each person is that God has a calling for us that we are to live out. And then we're back to that same question I mentioned a moment ago. How do I discern this? How do I know this? Uh, What if I got it wrong? What if I followed someone's wrong guidance? Well, this morning when I was preparing my thoughts for the program, I happened to be looking at a book that had been on my shelf for many years. Uh, It actually was given to me by a a good friend, Dr. Scott Hahn, uh, about 20-some years ago. And it It's a book called This Tremendous Lover by Monsignor Eugene Boylan, uh, originally published in 1947 and then more recently republished by Christian Classics. It's a great book. I remember looking through it early on, but at the time I received the book, I wasn't able to read it, put it up on the shelf, and I got buried, and then I picked it up recently to start reading a little bit every morning. And this morning, I'd only got 10 pages into the book, but this morning I just happened to just... I'll just pick it up and glance later in a book, and I opened to page 230, and I'm telling you, I felt that this was God speaking to me today with the responsibility of this broadcast because there's a paragraph here that I want you to hear, 
and it's published on the website along with today's scriptures. And let me read, because Monsignor Boylan says it well. He's, this is what he says. He says, to some souls, our Lord makes it clear that he has a special work for them to do. Occasionally, he asks a soul to become a victim for the salvation of others. When such a vocation is certain, one has a quite new field for God's service. Our own view is that in this matter, one should wait for God to make his will clear, and such a form of apostolic work should never be undertaken without the consent and authorization of some prudent director. Anyone who takes such a work upon himself without an indication of God's will may be guilty of pride and prejudice, oh, I almost said pride and prejudice, pride and presumption, and may find that he is left to carry a heavy burden without the extra grace that lightens such a burden. We repeat that as long as one abides in Christ by doing the will of God, that is ample. Now this quote from Monsignor Boylan, I think, is important as we enter into this discussion tonight, as well as this whole year of looking at scriptures that inspire us. A number of things in this text make and I'll, when I look at the other scriptures for this program, I'll bring some of the things that Monsignor Boylan points out. But this idea that all of us are called to abide in Christ. That's essentially the call that we have as a result of our baptism. That we are to abide in him, we're to uh, follow his teachings, we're to obey the Ten Commandments, we're to follow the teachings of the church. Every one of us has that same, that's what it means to abide in Christ. And we do that not on our own. As Jesus says in John chapter 15, abiding in Christ requires the grace that he gives us. We can't do it apart from him. And so everyone is called to do that. That's how we uh, stay in God's will, by living that way. When we fail, that's why we have confession. That's when we get on our knees and say, I'm sorry, Lord, please wipe out the past and help me start over again. And, and in many ways, we do it every day because we are sinners saved only by grace. And that's why Monsignor Boyle, at the end of that paragraph, says that that's the underlying call for all of us. But he says occasionally he does ask certain souls to become a victim for the salvation of others. When such a vocation is certain, one has a quite new field for God's service. And so there are those that have a, a more, more directly a directed call of service to God that requires that they break free from the norm. It doesn't mean that God doesn't call us to be an engineer or a teacher or a truck driver or a farmer. Those are all vocations that God has for individuals, but he also has vocations for men and women when he calls them out of the norm to serve him full-time with their life or part-time as a clergy, religious, or deacon, missionary, teacher, the list goes on. But he makes this very important clarification. He says that if you discern that God is calling you in one of these unique ways, or maybe you struggled with this call, he gives the wisdom to say that one should wait for God to make his will clear. Such a form of apostolic work should never be undertaken without the consent and authorization of some prudent director. Anyone who takes 
such a work upon himself without an indication of God's will may be guilty of pride and presumption and may find that he is left to carry a heaven burden, heavy burden without the extra grace that lightens such a burden. Now, the reason I'm emphasizing this on this Deep in Scripture program is partially because this program is sponsored by the Coming Home Network International. And the reason the Coming Home Network International exists, our main charism is to assist non-Catholic ministers, missionaries, seminarians, teachers, who, through the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, are being drawn to the Roman Catholic Church. They're drawn to the truth of the church, to the history, to the fullness of the tradition. And recognizing the beauty of the church, they're drawn to come home. That's why we call ourselves the Coming Home Network International. But in the process, these specific individuals that I mentioned, ministers, seminarians, teachers, missionaries, uh, youth ministers and such, as a result of their desire to come closer to the Catholic Church, recognize that their entire lives are being challenged, their vocation, their calling, how they'll support their family, how they'll use their gifts. At one point in time, they discerned this calling of following Christ more deeply. As Monsignor uh, Boylan emphasized, they discerned that God was calling them to become a victim for the salvation of others, a victim in the sense of making certain sacrifices different than the average citizen in our country, that they are going to make a, a radical gift of their life for the good of others. And they discern that. And then they recognize that in the process of becoming Catholic, it, it puts a challenge on whether they continue using these gifts in the opportunities that they did before. And so the reason for the existence of the Coming Home Network International is to stand beside these men and women as they discern whether they should, in fact, possibly sacrifice the ministries and missions that they had before coming into the church. And the reason it might be a sacrifice is they may discover that once they become Catholic, that the opportunities may not be there for them to use these gifts. There may be better opportunities and more opportunities, but there's no guarantee. And so our job is not to push, pull, or prod them into the church, but to stand beside them, answer their questions, give them encouragement, and hopefully help them find a way for them to use their gifts once they become Catholic. The reason I again mention this is that we recognize that just because a man was a Protestant minister, that does not necessarily mean that once they become Catholic, they're automatically qualified or called to be a Catholic priest. As Monsignor Boylan said, that when you and I, within our soul are discerning how to serve God with our lives, that we have to be careful that we are having that sense of call uh, tested, not just through our own wisdom, our gut feeling, nor not just those that are around us, our friends, our family, but that we have, we recognize that within the church, God has called men and women with unique gifts to serve, to help us know how we are to serve Christ in the church. Monsignor Boylan calls them our directors, spiritual directors. And we recognize, when I came to the Protestant world, the, the reality is that we kind of believe that anybody could guide us. 
I could go to a friend or, uh, and, and because we believed in private interpretation, the Spirit can guide me to read Scripture and know what's true, then I could go to my neighbor. What do you think? I'm thinking about being a minister. Oh, that's a great idea. I can see that, boom, and then pretty soon you're in seminary. And, and I think we'll only know when we're up there with Jesus in heaven that there are a lot of people that, that thought they had a call and probably didn't. doesn't mean that God didn't bless their efforts. doesn't mean that God was upset. God always loves someone who's willing to give their life in service to others. But was that, in fact, God calling them to go in a certain direction or not? That's what the church discerns when a man who was a Protestant minister becomes a Catholic. Then the church has to discern, all right, what are your gifts? What are your abilities? Now where can we use your, those gifts and abilities in the service of Christ in the church? Now let's take a break. When I come back, I'd like to look at some of the verses that I helped me discern my own calling to serve Christ in the church. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Mark your calendars and pack your bags. The Global Catholic Network is bringing you another EWTN family celebration. On August 8th and 9th, we'll be in Birmingham, Alabama, celebrating this year's theme, Rejoice in Hope. Join some of our most popular hosts, Marcus Grodi, Raymond Arroyo, Barbara McWiggan, Father Wade Menezes, The Donut Man, and more. We'll have inspirational talks, Holy Mass, Family Corner, a kid's concert by The Donut Man, and a live taping of a special Crossing the Goal with Danny Abramowitz. For more information on this free event, log on to EWTN.com or call 205-271-2989. The EWTN Family Celebration, August 8th and 9th in Birmingham, Alabama. We'll see you there. Here's that number again for more information, 205-271-2989. 2989 or log on to EWTN.com. Well, welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi for your host. I'm here alone tonight. Oh, not really alone. I mean, of course, I've got my, my friends here in the studio running the, all the equipment and uh, others listening to the possibility of emails. And uh, of course, all of you who are listening, thank you very much for joining us. And, of course, all those at EWTN that make this possible, uh, we're very grateful to God for that opportunity. I've been discussing this issue of calling. Uh, It's a big issue. We're going to take a year talking about it. But I think it's absolutely important. Some of you say, I'm not called to be a priest or a nun or or whatever, teacher even. You know, I'm just a regular old guy. But the truth is that the question comes down, what does God want us to do with this one life we've been given? And I believe, kind of going on that last statement that Monsignor Boylan says in that paragraph, when he says, we repeat that as long as one abides in Christ by doing the will of God, that is ample. It's my view that without getting into the big argument, the the full extreme of trying to discover God's one call for our life and all of that, we're not going to go there yet in tonight's program, but to recognize, I think I can say boldly that every single person no matter who he or she is, all of us, probably, that there is some aspect in life which we can do a little more in the gift of our service to Jesus Christ. I mean, there are people, I'm sure, that are so busy that they need to slow down. 
But often their busyness can be a distraction from the true service to Jesus that is needed at any given moment. Frank St. Francis de Sales, in his wonderful book, Introduction of Devout Life, talks about the, uh, the way we discern temptation and how we deal with temptation, but he also talks about how we deceal with how we deal and discern with inspiration. Temptation comes from the enemy, the devil and his horde, who speak within our minds to try and pull us off target to do things that are not good for us, are not good in themselves, are evil. And so he calls us to look straight at it, whatever it is we're being tempted, to analyze whether it's good or bad. And then once we recognize whether it's right or wrong, good or bad, then we choose accordingly. Well, the same is true with inspiration. Inspiration are where we hear from God through our guardian angel, through the other influences in our life that are trying to pull me in his direction. And again, it's the same process. We discern and we say, oh, wait. God's trying to talk to me. What are you saying, Lord? And then we discern good or bad. It's from God, of course, it's good. But we're trying to make sure it's not, we're not being tri- tricked here. But when we discern that this is what God's calling me to do, then our obedience is to do it. And in a way, the calling is not only looking at a lifelong call, a vocation for life. That's a part of what we're going to be discussing this coming year but also on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment. We're driving through town. We're walking through the mall. We're sitting in a doctor. What what is it that God would have me do in that time to be an emissary of him and his gospel? And I'd like to take then the rest of this program tonight to look at some scriptures that I've found in my own journey to be particularly challenging. In the coming weeks, I'll have guests sharing their personal verses. I'm going to share a few of mine tonight. I can't go through them all, obviously, but what I'd like to do is just talk about a few of them. And one I know, if, if you've listened to the Journey Home program on EWTN or if you listen deep in Scripture, you've heard me mention Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 as, in many ways, the, one of the most foundational verses to my understanding and awakening to serve God with my life. And I'm actually going to add not I'm going to add verse 7 to that. Proverbs 3, 5, 6 and 7 because again as a Catholic in my process of becoming Catholic as I continued reading scripture now from a new perspective, a deeper perspective within the context of tradition, I recognize that actually all of Proverbs needs to be looked at not just one little snippet, but verse 7 adds an important aspect to hearing what the the, uh, the writer was trying to challenge is uh, the listeners of the song. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, just let me say that uh, back when I was about 21 and had my adult awakening to Jesus Christ, I, though I'd been Christian all my life, it had not been important to me until I had an adult awakening by the grace of God. And this, this verse was very quickly drawn to my attention by the pastor, who the congregational pastor that had brought me to Christ uh, through his preaching and teaching and friendship. And he, he, he pointed this verse out to me. And let me read it. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him 
and he will direct your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Now, when I first began to follow this verse, God had changed my heart to want to follow him. If anything, when I think about conversion, and on the Journey Home program for 12 years, you've been, if you've been listening to the program, you've heard many men and women talk about conversion. And is it a conversion of heart? Is it a conversion of mind? Is, you know, what's going on here? And it seems to me that one of the biggest changes that takes place in anyone's life when they've had an authentic awakening is that grace plants within, within their heart a desire to want to be closer to God, to want to be obedient, to want to be different. It's not an emotion. It's not merely an intellectual choice of the will. It's something deeper in the heart, this desire. It could be frustrated by things in our life because maybe what we want to do is not really best for us. And that's why I find this proverb particularly good, and I would strongly recommend you to memorize this, write it up, and uh, in the morning prayer, prayerfully meditate on this verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It takes a whole life to discern and to, and to be able to do that, trusting in the Lord with all your heart because our heart's full of so much uh, junk from our sinful lives. But trusting in him means essentially turning our whole life in his direction by his grace which empowers our ability to listen to him and want to be obedient to him, we seek by his grace to turn in his direction in every aspect of our life, whether it's in our job or at home, in the midst of our bad habits. We want to turn away from those and turn in his direction. And often we're saying, Lord, forgive me and help me to move in your direction again. The second line, lean not unto your own understanding, is this important check to always recognize that on, on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, you and I are dealing with a wide variety of voices from the world outside to uh, the world inside our head, all the different voices along with our memory and all the, it's infinite almost. And there's a danger, as the Monsignor said in his book, that as we're trying to discern for ourselves what we need to do with our life when we're listening to the impulses that might be there drawing us in his direction, the danger is that we could be blind to the ways in which we're being guided by pride or presumption. We might think that we're a whole lot more intelligent than we really are. Or in the opposite direction, we might think we're stupid when in fact we're not. So we might be blind to our own abilities. And, and, and so therefore, we need the guidance of those we can trust, as Monsignor had mentioned in his book, a director that is a trustworthy director that we know that has the gifts of God to be able to guide us. So we can't lean on our own understanding. It doesn't mean that we are to be blind puppets. Catholic Church has never taught that of anyone. But recognizing that we are not individuals following Jesus individually, but that we are children of the church, of the body of Christ. And so therefore, as a, as a part of the body, as 
especially when we're discerning how our gifts are to be used in service to Jesus Christ, the body has something to say about that. It isn't you or me as an individual toe deciding that we have more wisdom than the rest of the body. No, we are part of the body, and so therefore we are awaiting the discernment of the leaders in the church to help us know how to, to use the gifts. But in the, in the meantime, our goal is to trust God with all of that we are, heart, mind, soul, and strength. Line three is, in, in all your ways, acknowledge him. In other words, in what we do, when we get up in the morning and we go through the different aspects of our day, somehow, through our words and our actions, we are to not be focused on acknowledging ourselves or acknowledging those around us or trying to uh, butter up to the boss. Our main goal is to acknowledge Jesus somehow. Sometimes we can do it with words. Or often, I think it was St. Francis that said, we do it with our actions and, if necessary, use words. But the point is that somehow the way we carry out our jobs, the way we uh, use our money, the way we use our time, all of that is to be a, a means of acknowledging him. And then line four is the key. and It says he will direct your paths. See, a part of this trust is, as Monsignor Boylan had said in his thing, that <clears throat> um, one of the key things he had said is that we are to be patient, that we are to, to wait, to trust, he says that our own view is that in this manner one should wait for God to make his will clear. So in the meantime, we aren't merely, oops, fell off the microphone, I'm sorry. We aren't merely just sitting back waiting for God to give us this information down from heaven on a golden scroll. No, in the meantime, we are to trust him. We are to not lean on our own understanding and we are to acknowledge him with our life. In other words, we are to serve him. We are to live out our baptisms wherever we are. And there's a, a thousand ways we can carry out the gospel in the place where we are in serving him. And then in the meantime, trusting that he is guiding our lives in the correct direction that he wants us. And if he has a special call for us in the midst of that, as Monsignor Boylan intimates, he will let us know. There'll be a, and there's a variety of ways, and we'll talk about that in the coming year, of how people heard their call to priesthood, to the religious life, call to the laity. I mean, I, for example, I mentioned earlier that our work in the Coming Home Network International is helping Protestant ministers become Catholic, and sometimes these formally ordained ministers become Catholic priests, but the majority of them do not, and I'm one in that case. I was a Presbyterian minister for 10 years. I've become a Catholic. It doesn't seem that God is calling me to continue to, to pursue Catholic priesthood. On the other hand, he has opened up many doors, Every door he's opened has been a great gift, including working with EWTN. And I could have never guessed that back when I was a Protestant, that I would have a, a television show on Catholic television and radio. If I had to use my own intellect to try to figure out back when I was discerning becoming Catholic, okay, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? I can tell you right now, I could never have guessed any of the things, including running an apostolate called the Coming Home Network International, helping Protestant ministers become Catholic. I wouldn't. Not only wouldn't have, I hadn't thought of that, I wouldn't have wanted to do it. But God has a great sense of humor. And what he is, he loves us so much. And he loves you and me and knows what's best for us so much more than we can ever imagine that we are called to trust. 
that's the point of this passage. But I did say that I included verses 7 that I'd never looked quite as much at. And maybe it became because of my Protestant Calvinist background. But I do believe Proverbs 3, 7 is very important because the, uh, the writer went on to say, Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. In this verse, I think he's addressing us basically on living out our baptismal Christian lives. He was not, this was, of course, when this was written, he was writing to Jews in the midst of the Jewish community in their, as a part of the family of God to living out the fullness of their Jewish faith. But now we recognize that the Old Testament has been fulfilled and, and fleshed out in the New that we can see that what's being referred to here is, first of all, again, a warning about being wise in our own eyes. Here within two verses, he's reemphasizing this very important thing that we can be, as Monsignor said, caught up in pride and presumption, but that the underlying foundation to our walk with Jesus Christ is the fear of God. And I'll tell you, and Mother Angelica and I discussed this once on television a couple years ago, that it seems that the challenge to fear the Lord is one of those uh, underlying essential aspects of our faith that too often has been forgotten in the last hundred years, it seems, at least the last 50. It's really hard to find books and uh, documents, even sermons, about the need to fear the Lord. And it's, it's almost as if that what's happened, especially since the 60s, is that the, the pendulum has swung all the way to the other side to emphasize the love of God. And God loves you, and, you know, it's, uh, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay, so what the hey? I mean, it's that kind of a mentality when in reality this call to fear the Lord is an essential aspect of our training. And if our formation of conscience from the time we're young it, it, if we're not adequately taught the fear of the Lord, I do believe that's one of the reasons we've seen so many scandals in the church, outside the church, in our culture. We see so many decisions moving as people are trying to discern, okay, what am I going to do with this one life? Well, their conscience has not been formed adequately of the fear of God, so they're considering ways to live their life that are so radically opposed to how God could possibly be calling them. We're not talking about these specific vocational calls. We're talking about the, the bottom, ground-level, moral and ethical ways of living a person's life in our culture today. As Isaiah warned, what is good will be called bad, and what is bad will be called good. And we're seeing that. And the, 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 the writer of the Proverbs here emphasizes that the bottom line is the fear of the Lord. What's that mean, fear of the Lord? Well, it, it grows on us. When we're young, when you're a child uh, in a family, when you're young, <clears throat> you learn what's right and wrong. And often when you're faced with a decision, what's in your mind is, hey, I'm told not to do this because it's not a good thing. And if I do it anyway, I'm going to get punished. If I, if I don't do it, I'll get a reward from my parents because they'll be glad I did what's right. So that's how we kind of learn the fear of the Lord in the, because in the, in the quote, fear within the family. We learn to be obedient. And if we don't do what's right, then there's some kind of punishment. And so we 
as we grow up, we learn to live this way in obedience, partially because we're afraid of getting hurt or we want to get a reward. But as we mature from what's called servile fear into more filial fear, then it's not so much that we don't think about punishment or reward anymore. It's that we're more interested in receiving praise from our parents. We want to see their smile. We want them to be proud of us. We want, we don't want anything to stand in the way of the intimate relationship we have with our parents so that when we're away from our parents and we encounter new things, maybe areas that our parents hadn't told us that's right or wrong, we're trying to decide, and they don't see us, and so we decide, well, you know what, I wonder what they would tell me. And if we decide, well, they'd probably tell me not to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Well, that's disobedience. And part of it is, no, this I know from my parents is they would probably say this is something good for me, and so I will be obedient, not just because of reward or penalty, but because I know this is what they would want me to do. That is the mirror, the image of our living in fear of God. At the bottom is recognizing some things are wrong, and they will receive punishment. There's a thing called hell, you know. And then on the other hand, there is reward, and there's a thing called heaven. But on top of that, given all that to be true, is this desire to be intimate with God in his love, to see his smile. Or as we will, if we have time, we'll talk about that verse in uh, the parable of the talents where we hear the king saying, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear from God. And so this idea of fearing the Lord and turning away from evil is the foundation, the given of our daily life in obedience to Christ. And then on top of that, as we discern, okay, Lord, now I, I want to live this way. I, I live this way out of obedience to you. Now what do you want me to do? Well, we're going to talk about that in a moment when we look at the parable of the rich young ruler. Let's take another break. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to Deep in Scripture, and this is your host, Marcus Grodi, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Next time on Life on the Rock, how can your kids learn the fullness of the Catholic faith in a fun and exciting way? Find out when the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, join Doug and Father Mark to talk about truth in the heart. That's on the next Life on the Rock, only on EWTN. Life on the Rock is seen and heard around the world on EWTN. For dates and times in your area, log on to EWTN.com. Written by Carl Adam, Roots of the Reformation gives a historically sensitive and accurate analysis of the cases of the Reformation that stands as a valid and sometimes unsettling challenge to the presuppositions of Protestants and Catholics alike. This valuable resource is a powerful summary of the issues that led to the Reformation and their implications today. To order a copy of this book for yourself or a friend, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program. I'm here alone tonight, and we're looking at uh, verses that deal with discerning God's call in our life, uh, 
how to follow him more faithfully. You know, it says in Scripture that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And uh, that great verse that, uh, that is posted somewhere on some placard at every football game in America, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he, that he gave his only begotten son, so whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Both of those verses, as well as many, many others, emphasize that it wasn't us that moved to God first. It was he that moved towards us. The whole message of salvation deals with God's love for you and for me, his mercy for you and for me, his calling for you. He gave you the life that you have, even in the midst of whatever you possibly can be going through right now with whatever troubles you have, yet in the midst of that, your life was a gift. Now, how you get out of those troubles and and how you get your life in the right direction, even if you find yourself in a situation you know that except for a miracle you can never get out of again, yet in the midst of that, somehow, God is still calling you to be a message of his mercy. Uh, We could talk about redemptive suffering and, and the idea of offering it up. There's a whole lot of things, but the point is that he does desire for you to experience his joy to the fullness, he says in John chapter 15, verse 11. So how do you follow him? How do you discern that? And we're going to talk about that over the next couple of years. I mentioned before the break, talked a bit about a verse that was very important to me uh, in my early Christian walk, Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 7. I'd like to, there's a lot of other verses I could talk about, but I'm going to leave those to other guests. I think one particular whole section of the New Testament that I always found particularly challenging on uh, awakening us to uh, the need to follow Christ is Matthew chapter 24 and 25 together called the Olivet Discourse. It's a section where he talks about the tribulation and second coming, but and there's, of course, a lot of controversial interpretations of that, but what is more significant, I think, because he says, hey, you can't know the day or the time. But the point is, he says that we must be ready, all of us. We never know what day the Son of Man is coming, at what hour we'll expect him, he says. In other words, we never know whether it's today, maybe in an hour, tonight, tomorrow, within a week. We don't know when we will stand before God accountable for this life that we've been given. Are we ready to meet him? And that whole section of Matthew 24 and 25 essentially deal with that. He begins with, again, the tribulation, second coming, and then he gives a number of parables of the, of the faithful and wise servant, the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the talents, and the judgment between the sheep and the goats, all of which deal with you and I choosing in this life to serve him faithfully. I think about the... Uh, parable of the talents that, again, as I mentioned, well done, good and faithful servant. Hey, one person was given one talent, one was given five, one was given ten, one was given a hundred, a thousand. The question was that one wasn't better than the other. That wasn't why one person was given one and talent, one given ten. It says according to their abilities. In other words, we're not all, uh, uh, I'm not getting into this contra- constitutional discussion, created equal. In that sense, some of us have different talents than others, different abilities. It's not means one better than another. That's where we get in trouble judging people because of their abilities. No, in reality, if you've been given certain gifts and someone else has been given others, the difference is you have different responsibilities. 
and being a steward of those gifts that you've been given. And are you using those gifts that you've been given, your opportunities, your wealth, your skills, your intellect, are you using them for the good of Jesus? That's the key and for his church. And so I'd like to turn for the rest of this program, for the time we have left, to look at a New Testament passage that, for me, was awakening. Maybe the most significant story in the New Testament that drew me to follow Christ more closely. And that's the famous story of the rich young ruler. And it's told in in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But the Mark section is what I'd like to read from you, beginning with Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have observed from my youth. And Jesus, looking upon him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. And at that saying, his countenance fell, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, I remember when I was a young adult, and I had had this awakening to Jesus Christ, and I really wanted to follow him more deeply. I was working as an engineer, trying to discern whether I should go to seminary or not, have a music ministry, all different options. And and I looked at this for this section, and this challenged me in a way that I'd like to present, present to you because the first part of this, this, this man comes to Jesus, and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' statement is basically obey the commandments. So if you think for a moment back to the Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 passage that I mentioned, that last, after all that the, the, the Proverbist says, he goes on to say, be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So in other words, he's referring to the kind of the baseline expectations that God has for us, that we are to live in obedience, we're to live a holy life, we are to seek to obey the Ten Commandments, to live out our love for God and love for neighbor. And in this sense, this man basically responds to Jesus and says, I have done that. And when Jesus, when the, uh, Mark says in verse 21, Jesus looking upon him loved him, it seems that the implication is that Jesus looked at him and believed that he was sincere. Uh, Jesus didn't look on him with a scorn or with cynicism. Uh, no, he loved him. And I think in that he was saying here was a man that truly had tried to live by grace that obedience. And so the question is, is there something more? And in that is this question that is the theme of this program. All right, what does God want me to do with this one life he's given me? I know that I'm called to live in obedience. I know that I'm called to live out the Ten Commandments. I'm not to steal, not to rob, not to commit adultery. I'm not to look enviously. I'm not to covet all those things. Also, as a member of the church, there are certain things I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to go to Mass. I'm supposed to go to the sacraments. 
uh, you know, all those things we know are the bottom level of our life, but is there something more? Is there a deeper calling? Is there some certain sacrifice? Is there direction he wants me to go? Are there things in my life that they may not be necessarily bad, but they're a distraction from the direction that he's actually calling me? So how do I make that decision? Is there something more? And so Jesus looks at this man, says he loved him. And then he said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell what you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Now, does this passage communicate that every single person after they have lived out their obedience, that the next step is to live in poverty. We're not to have any riches. We're to go and sell it all and give it to the poor, and that's how we follow Jesus. That's what he means here. And there have been those who have interpreted that way. But the majority of the church's teachers have recognized, no, this is not the general expectation that Jesus has for every single person to literally take everything you have sell it, give it away to the poor, and then live in poverty following Jesus. There are people, as Monsignor Boylan says, who have that specific calling. That is their unique calling as a victim for the salvation of others. But the way that it's expressed in each of our lives might be different, though the same. And here's what I mean. Jesus said after He had laid that out before this man who was sincere in wanting to follow in obedience. It says that he fell away. His countenance fell, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. See, the issue is that what is the gifts that we have that have been given to us for the good of others, but that we're primarily grasping and holding on for ourselves? It might be wealth, it might be property, it might be certain abilities that we have, it might be a variety of things, but what is it uniquely for you or me that stand in the way of our being totally able to give to Christ? When I discerned this, again, following Monsignor's advice so I didn't know at the time, I discerned the call to the pastorate and went to seminary, and, and that required great sacrifice. What is it for you? What is the one thing that he calls you to do? Well, I will pray with you that God will help you discern that as you seek to follow him closely. God bless. See you next week.